What is good? What's going on, man? How's everyone doing? Hope everyone's keeping it 100 today, man. People have been asking with all this hip-hop shit going on, and people have been asking about the truth behind um how Death Row broke up, pretty much the history behind Death Row, Dr. Dre, Shook Knight, you know, all the people, Tupac, Snoop Dogg, like Death Row was like, they were bigger than life. And that was Shook Knight's problem. He thought he was bigger than the world. So let's break down the history, or as much as history that I think I know. And if I say something wrong, just correct me. Let me know. At the time, you know, um, Death Row was a real small label. Really, so was Ruthless Records compared to other record labels like Atlantic, Columbia, Sony. But there was an opportunity there with Death Row. Jimmy Iovine came into the picture, so... Jimmy Iovine would control the distribution. So pretty much, Jimmy Levine was able to buy Interscope, and that's how they would distribute their own music. But gangster rap back then, it wasn't really part of what Interscope Records wanted to do. It was not part of their circle. But Suge Knight, Dr. Dre, they went and started Death Row Records. Suge ended up putting up the money because Dre walked away, wasn't really making it with easy. But what they did is they ended up going in 50-50 partners. Dre made Suge equal partners. Everybody was going to get their money. But the whole purpose with with Suge, he said, I'll, keep t- I'll take care of the artists, man. You know, because he knew a lot of people were making money off death row. And Suge wanted to keep the money. So Suge pretty much said, I'll take care of anyone that has to be taken care of, like anyone in the game. As far as the people rolling around him, his artists. But some of the methods he went about doing it was really fucked up. It really wasn't the way that people in his business at the time thought how you would roll. To do this pretty much, you really have to look at the history of Interscope, but they pretty much started out with, um, I think, a kid named Teddy, who else, um, Teddy, Tom Wiley, ah, oh, Teddy, Tom Wiley, Jimmy Iovine, so they were pretty much the three main characters, so Jimmy Iovine, they pretty much just, you know, the music just kept putting out and putting out music, but they were just putting down some watery down bullshit. They really weren't making any money. They weren't making any profits. Maki Maki and a Funky Budge comes around. And what was that? That dude Rico Suave. I mean, pretty much that was the only hits that Interscope, I, yeah, Interscope, they really even had, man. So they really weren't making any money. So they needed a guy like Suge Knight. They needed a guy like Dr. Dre. So they was in need of help. They was in need of some talent. So they figured... So Teddy Fields pretty much went to Jimmy Iovine and said, I want you to hook up with these dudes. So they went and hired the man that was pretty much responsible. That was pretty much John McLean. John McLean was a very quiet guy. But he did know music. But you really don't hear him talking a lot. I mean, the guy just listens. He listens to music. He understands what's going on. 
His mom was into music. You know, he came from a music family. He even worked with Janet Jackson. I think, like, um, people like that. But he left in 1990 to go over pretty much to Interscope Records and help Jimmy Iovine out. So in, like, around 90, 1991, when he went over to Interscope, the first thing he ended up doing at Interscope was help him how to look for talent. Because Interscope had no idea how to look for talent. Especially in the hood, but whoever really had the hood was going to lock up the music business. And that's how it was going to be. So, I mean, the market in the hood didn't really get down with Marky Mark and shit, so... You needed something that was going to work. So all they really had at Interscope, the first artist they really had was Tupac. But they had no idea how to promote Tupac. They had no idea what to do with Tupac. So when John McClane came along, not the diehard John McClane. So in 91, 92, he's looking at Tupac and he said, all right, this is what I want to do with Tupac. I mean, so John McClain looking at Tupac, trying to figure out what he was going to do with Tupac. So so we hooked up with the dude Dick that runs the L.A. studio, you know, with the artists that come in to record. And that's where we pretty much met Dr. Dre. And at the time, Dr. Dre was working on the album The Chronic. So Dr. Dre pretty much, he had a few albums on the track already, maybe six, seven songs on the track. I think he did the deep cover soundtrack before he started fucking with with the other shit, but I can't remember the songs Dre actually was laying down, but I think there was like six or seven. Six, seven songs. These Nuts was on there, but yeah, about six songs. I mean, I'm just trying to go off what I can remember. John McClain ended up listening to the songs and said, can I take this album or can I take this cut to Interscope? I want to play this for Jimmy and Teddy. And see if we could get them to pretty much finance Death Row Records. Because he knew he wanted that record. So he, he knew he needed that to get the urban. And he wanted to get the hood. And this could really be monumental. I mean, John McClain was about sound. And we know Dr. Dre was about sound. He hears, that's why beats, you know, he hears the sound. But John McCain knew that Dr. Dre the Chronic was going to be an epic, epic album. So Jimmy Iovine, Ted Fields, they're all sit down, Tommy's there, they're, everybody's listening to the album. Pretty much they're saying, wow, yo, they're all bumping their head and they're like, holy shit, this is, this is hot. But I don't think if that was where they wanted to go at the time. They weren't really sure, you know, white people don't like putting their money in gangster shit. That's just a fact. Teddy Fields really didn't even want to do it. He didn't want to go anywhere near hip-hop. A lot of people didn't want to cut a label deal with Suge Knight and Dr. Dre. I mean, at the time, they didn't want to cut the deal. They knew they had enough labels at at the time, but they wanted to see what the album did at the time. So they figured, let's see this album, and then let's see what happens the next album. But I think John McClain was like, If they shop this around somewhere else, someone's going to pick it up and we're going to lose out on it. And I guarantee we're not going to get that album. They're not going to get the label. They're not going to get the group. 
history would be different. So in that building, they started getting everything in motion. And then at that point, bang, you got Death Row Records, man. They signed a deal with Dre. Now, if you remember in the movie, Jimmy Iovine goes talks to Dr. Dre. He goes talk to... So right now, Jimmy, Ted, figures, let's figure out a contract deal. Because we got to get Dr. Dre released from Ruthless Records. Not Shook Knight's way. We got to do it legally. They ended up doing that. So now Death Row comes out swinging, man. Easy E, happy for Dre. They sold like 25 million records at the time, man. It was phenomenal. I mean, and even up until now, this shit's still banging. I mean, five years, they still selling records. Death Row, Dre, they're dominating the industry. Shook Knight's getting paid. Now he's getting a big head because, you know, money come power. You got the power. You got the respect. But it seems things fall apart. Inside the house, man. Everything always gets fucked up inside the domicile. But inside the circle, you had a lot of people that were watching the money come in. They were watching the lights. But you know what? They wasn't profiting from the money, and I don't think they were happy. Suge Knight was getting more notorious. Death Row. I mean, people should be getting paid, but there was only a few people getting paid. So where's our money? I see Suge eating. I see Dre eating. There was people that worked on the Chronic album. 25 million copies. Like, yo. RBX was the first person. He was doing an Ice Cube move pretty much. Saying, you know, Suge ain't doing this. Suge ain't doing that, man. But he ended up bouncing. But Suge made sure nobody. He shelved him, man. He's a cancer. He's done. They knew. He was going to cause disruption inside the house. But he just wanted to know, where's our money? Dre, what's good? You the owner. Why I got there with Suge? Why can't I get paid, man? Like, when's my album coming out? When's this happen, Dre? When's that happening? And Dre was like trying to do some legitimate shit. Dr. Dre never been on no gangster ass shit. Never in his motherfucking life. Unless it was on stage. Unless it was script, choreographed. But people were making money. Not everybody. Like the main stars. Dre, Suge. But nobody else was getting paid man. It was like a Jerry Hella Easy E thing all over again. So your boy that keeps barking had to get released. So now the Dog Pound. I mean he was just dropped from the click. Dog Pound came out with this shit on the Murder Was The Case album man. So shit was rocking over there at Death Row. They were really really making money. Now things are getting crazy, you know, inside the house. Deals were getting done fuckery, a lot of partying going on. But Jimmy Iveen, Jimmy Iveen, man, Suge Knight, they were like, yeah, because they were making money. So Jimmy Iveen, that was his, like, pet friggin' project, man. You couldn't tell John McClane, Jimmy Iveen, you couldn't tell them anything about what was going on inside the doors, of death row. They just didn't want to hear it. You know why? Because if it makes dollars, it makes sense. I mean, Suge, Dre, always going to Jimmy, um, Jimmy Levine's house, man. Jimmy Levine would have gave these guys anything they wanted because they making money. They getting paid. And like I said, if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. 
They even had a football game at Jimmy Iovine's house, man. And, and you know, Suge, Suge Knight, fat motherfucker, he didn't want to do much running. But Jimmy Iovine tried to make sure these guys had fun, man, to have more success. But the more success you have, the more problems you have. And then Suge Knight's friend ended up getting killed over in New York. Things just started to unravel really, really fast. So Suge Knight now, he figures I'm going to go after Bad Boy Records. I mean, I don't think Jimmy Iovine was happy because you're going after one of his label mates. You know, his boy over there at um, Bad Boy. There was a lot of different situations that were popping up that was straight fuckery, man. It was causing Interscope to be like, what the fuck? We got to deal with this. We got to deal with that, man. This is like, we wasn't expecting all this hood drama. Interscope didn't look at all the problems that were popping up that they never had to deal with in the past when they were dealing with other artists that, that they had signed to their label, but they never signed anybody that was as notorious as Suge Knight. Now Jimmy Iovine knows they got problems. Lawsuits are coming in. I mean, Suge Knight pretty much would fight people for contracts. He was throwing charity work, charitable events in the city, trying to make himself look good. I mean, what's better than putting into the, the kids, you look like a legend. But Shook was always driving down to Compton. That's why one thing I give him props is because he was always, always hooking up the kids. But see, everyone hears like the bad shit about Shook. But he did a little bit of good in the community. You know, supposedly kicked it back. But that's all... You know, that's just what they see. But he did pay for a lot of people's funerals. I mean, so you can't really say Death Row did not get back to the community, but you don't hear that shit because it don't make good content. But Death Row now, even though that, that they was um, hooked up with Interscope, they were also a distributor. So they were distributing their own music as well. Not just with Interscope. But should, but Interscope giving them that kind of power was not really good for Interscope because they realized there was going to be a big problem over there at Death Row because now Suge Knight's rich, got respect, they can't control him. But let me tell you, when that check didn't come in for Suge Knight, Suge Knight made sure they owned up to what they were supposed to be doing. He didn't play with his money. I mean, Suge Knight wasn't saying... Give me some shit that isn't mine. I mean, remember when Ice Cube went in the office, fucked everything up? I mean, Suge Knight tried it, but Suge Knight was played out to be a bully. Ice Cube was made out. He was only getting what was his. Suge Knight went in that office to try to get his money. I mean, some people probably got hurt. I mean, a lot of people that, that are out of the realm, that are away from the hood, they really don't agree with a lot of the measures and tactics that Suge Knight took to get where he had to get, you know, to be such a dominant force. But it comes with, with the territory. You know, that's probably the only thing that Suge Knight knew how to do, was really bully people, beat people, get over on people. I mean, he was a big bastard from the streets too, you know what I mean? He was straight gangster. And what happens in the street when you get disrespected, you react it, you react in a whole different way. But when you're around a bunch of rich people, man, a bunch of millionaires, business tycoons, man, you really can't roll like that because they don't see that shit. They deal with it in a courtroom. 
they didn't realize why Shook Knight took this shit so seriously. Like, you know why? Because he's from the street and there's a different code when you're from the street. You don't get disrespected. You handle your business, man, and whatever it is, it's it's your word is your bond, man. Just bottom line. And Interscope Record, Jimmy Iovine, John McClain, they couldn't understand this type of this type of shit. And this is why they really didn't even want to get involved in Death Row Suge Knight in the first place. And the Andre Harrell situation, Clyde's pissed off. I mean, a lot of people are getting mad because they're not getting the money that they're supposed to get. You got John McClain. I mean, he's never even around, but they really didn't even have a problem with John. John would understand, but John didn't run shit. The finance department was ran pretty much by Jimmy Levine. So pretty much the finance department at at Interscope, pretty much, Jimmy Levine handled everything. But even Jimmy Levine bounced. He said, fuck me, I'm Audi. You already heard that Suge went to friggin', um... You know, Jerry Heller's house sent some goons over there like, what's good, Jerry? But yeah, so Jimmy Levine wasn't even playing. Jimmy didn't even want Suge Knight around him anymore. And he knew this Suge Knight is a bad guy. And Jimmy Levine wishes he figured, find out who the hell Suge Knight was before he got in bed with him. And that's important in business, man. You may want to hurry up and sign a deal. You want to make money. But yo... Never make a decision based on 10 seconds of your life. And I think that's what Jimmy Iovine did. Getting in bed with with Death Row. Not even Death Row. Getting in bed with Suge Knight. So not long after that, Tupac Shakur gets signed to Death Row Records now. So right now, they're going to stop making some beats. Dr. Dre's making some tracks. Making some music. But things are still kind of, you know, Interscope's a little fletchy right now. But... They're under contract, so Interscope's pretty much still rocking with Death Row Records. But Jimmy would still see Suge because Suge was always going down there, you know, to get checks and shit. So now you got Universal Records involved because Universal Records is owned pretty much by Interscope. And so Jimmy Levine's saying, look, our checks come from Interscope. I mean from Universal Studios. When Universal cuts the checks, you'll get your money. I mean, Jimmy Levine's like, we're going to send that shit right over. So Suge's like, nah, fuck that. I'll go to Universal myself and get my fucking money. So Suge Knight, what's that crazy-ass motherfucker do? He drives over there to Universal Studios. He can't even get in the motherfucking door. So shit starts popping off, man. The president of Universal Records had to get involved. Now, the president of Universal Studio gets threatened by Suge Knight. So the guy, Doug, he was scared to death anytime he came to the office. He brought his own wall-to-wall security guard, man. He wasn't even playing. I mean, this guy had some serious, serious security. He had like 15, 20 goons that would come grab him up, bring him here, bring him there. But this is about the time that Tupac's coming over at death row. Dre was pissed when Tupac came over, man. A lot of people thought that Dre was all right with it. Dre was down with it. But Dre was not all right when Tupac came over. He was not excited. See, what really got got Dre mad, I think Shook was just for the muscle, for the finances, and Dre was going to handle the talent because Dre Dre was talented and looking for talent. So Dre wasn't happy when, when Tupac ended up 
coming over there to, to death row. So Dre was like, what the fuck Suge Knight doing signing people? Suge Knight slowly taking more control of death row. Pretty much cutting anyone out. Suge Knight originally was going to be behind the scenes. But now he's putting himself on front street. And Dre was like, see, I don't even want to fuck with this shit, man. I'm out. I mean, Dre really said he was going to try to stick it out with Tupac, but he did not want to sign Tupac. He didn't even want Pac over at Death Row Records. Because now here comes Pac, here comes a bunch of other people coming along, you know, that roll with Tupac and shit. So Dre wasn't even really feeling it, man. He was like, this is what the fuck I'm talking about. I think they were working on California Love, man. Dre had all his verses already down. So he pretty much ended up giving the record over to Tupac. And then Tupac's over there talking very ruthless over to Dre. And Dre could pretty much hear a lot of shit that Tupac was, was talking about. And Dre looks over at Suge and, and like, Suge laughing. Like, I ain't laughing with him, homie. I'm laughing at you, Dre. So I think that made Dre feel a sort of way right there. I mean, Tupac cracking on Dre going on and on. And once Tupac seen that Suge had his back, was laughing at Dre and shit, was, you know, laughing with Tupac. So, see, Tupac was mad because one of the girls that was down with his crew started dating Dre. So maybe Tupac felt a certain way about Dre right off the jump. I mean, shit started bubbling, shit started boiling. It was getting mad, mad hot. She was pretty much telling Dre that 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 they were dissing him, you know, doing the California Love video every time Dre ain't around. And Dre was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm bouncing. I already got a deal. I'm out of here. They can have this death row bullshit. Dre was like, yup, I'm going to come back, get my shit, and I'm out. I ain't even going to say my goodbyes. I'm gone. He could keep all this shit. He could keep death row. He could keep everything. Dre even said, you could keep all the motherfucking masters, yo. Dre left. And as word as it was, Dre already knew what was going on. He already had a new place. Now he's going to start working on an album. After Death Row Records, man. He's getting himself off the Death Row Records. Now he's got a label. With Interscope, so... And he was going to separate himself from Death Row, separate himself from Suge Knight. So the Tupac record gets released. It's hitting. It's going through the fucking roof, man. So money was making. I mean, Interscope's loving this Tupac thing now. Tupac's selling. He's making money. I mean, everything you heard back then was kind of Tupac this, Tupac that, all eyes on me. I mean, Tupac was coming out with some fire-ass tracks. I mean, things were going good with Tupac. Interscope was about to do some more Tupac shit. You know what I mean? But And then Tupac gets pretty much murdered. So there goes that. I mean, after Tupac got murdered, I think Interscope was kind of like, yo, we good, man. We got to get away from these motherfuckers. Interscope had it. They were all done. They didn't want to fuck with Suge Knight no more. They didn't want to fuck with Death Row. They knew they had Dr. Dre. And it was too dangerous to have Suge Knight on the street with power like that under the label Interscope Records. So Interscope hires their own investigators like, yo, see what's good with this dude, man. They found out he was on parole. 
So Interscope was trying to find a way pretty much to get Suge Knight off the streets or get him off out of death row records, take his power away or try to separate him somehow from death row records. So Suge Knight didn't have so much power because they thought this was going to be very, very dangerous. But Interscope ends up finding an angle to the parole violation. I mean, Wayne... When Shug kicked that dude Orlando, man, they about to laid him down on like nine years parole violation. And that had a lot to do with Interscope too, man. Like, if you look at the video, I mean, it didn't look like Shug Knight was doing too much. But to convict a motherfucker for nine years, that was a setup. I don't like Shug Knight at all, but that was some fuckery. Interscope figured a way to get him off the street. Interscope was very powerful at the time. So what better way to remove Suge Knight from power than to send him to prison? But does that show you what kind of power some record labels have? And what they will do to you to make you disappear? And they were going to make sure that by the time Suge Knight got out of jail, Death Row was done. They wanted to make sure Death Row is never going to come back to where it once was. B.I.G. gets murdered, Suge Knight, you know, in jail, all kind of fucked up shit. But everybody knew it was Suge Knight and Death Row. Even John McClain was like, yo, I am out. He went back to A&M. He didn't want no part of people getting bodied, people getting murdered. He said, I'm good with that. So when John McClain left, that made it a little easier for things to work out. But I think John McClain took like a, a million dollar salary. Went over there to A&M. He had Ice Cube. Corrupt. I mean he had some people that he was signing over there. John McClain was a good businessman. He knew how to get some music out there. In the streets. But he didn't want to be around no gangster shit. He didn't want to be around no fuckery shit. He said Shook Knight's crazy man. I mean now the music industry wasn't safe anymore. And Interscope Records starts becoming a battleground. I mean, you had armed guards around there. You had people with guns running around. Security. Like, people were like, whoa. It just was not safe at Interscope Records. Not at all. Not even a little bit. Shook Knight's in jail. But they still don't even feel safe. Interscope having a trouble keeping their artists and... Nobody's releasing music. There's fucking investigations going on left and right. I mean, people want to know where the money's coming from. So pretty much, Death Row Records was on his way out. It was done. Interscope didn't want it no more. They had a plan. We have to get rid of Death Row Records. We are never going to let Suge Knight get back in power again. I mean, there was a lot of money spent to make sure Death Row died. Death Row never, never, ever came back again. Because they didn't want Suge Knight attached to it any way, any shape, or any form. Because Interscope owned Death Row. Suge Knight was trying to do all kinds of shit to get his label back. Interscope even gave Eminem the rights to Tupac's music. Which I didn't even know that. They ended up getting rights to Biggie Small's music with Bad Boy Records. Over um, dealing with Interscope. So now at that point they have they have Tupac's music, right? They have um, they got Biggie's music because Interscope ended up getting Puffy. They would rather deal with Puffy 
than Suge. They knew Puffy was a businessman, you know, he's about making that money. And, you know, you got Eminem coming on, you know, so now you got Eminem's music, you got Dre, you got Tupac, you know, so you had it all, you got Bad Boy, you got Notorious B.I.G. So Interscope at this point, they were pretty much on top of the world in the music industry, and this is the direction they wanted to go. They got rid of Suge Knight, and we all know Suge Knight now, he sits inside a... Um, a California prison awaiting a, a trial for running over people that was associated with the Straight Outta Compton movie. You know, so Suge Knight probably had a lot of animosity to a lot of them people, Dre included, that um, that pretty much that was going to be, you know, he had a lot of animosity about losing Death Row Records. And, you know, so now they took everything he had. They put him in jail for nine years for a bullshit kicking someone in the leg. But you know what, like, Suge Knight did a lot of fuckery shit, man. So you can't even really feel bad how they bent him over at the end, man. But, um, I mean, a lot of people that associated with Suge Knight died. But this was a long one where pretty much I hope I explained the history, the rise of Death Row, the fall of Death Row, and how Death Row will never again be Death Row. And this whole Treyway shit... Same shit will happen to him, man. There'll never, ever again be another Death Row Records. It's your boy Mikey, man. Check out other episodes. Can we keep it real? And if you like the content, you want to support the show, hit up that PayPal.